0: According to the preseason win total, UCLA is a contender in the Pac-12 in 2023. I don't buy it.
1: You are Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pac-12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with our media rights-free and beloved Conference of Champions. Like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch the show. Today, we have my man, Zach anderson Yoxheimer. He's the host of Locked On UCLA. He is at Zach underscore and underscore Yox on Twitter. We can't talk about UCLA without him, so let's just hop right into it, Zach. I I am not completely down on UCLA to where I think they're a sub-500 football team in 2023, but they get lumped in because of their preseason win total with the Oregons, the Utahs, the USCs, the Washingtons, and the Oregon States of the world who are seen as conference contenders, and I, I just don't quite by them I would pick them as the least likely of that group of six to win the league your thoughts
1: I mean I'm kind of with you Spencer I know I'm an optimistic fella you probably if you've watched locked on UCLA think I'm an optimistic fool but Nothing I just wrong don't with that. think that this is truly a year to contend in the top two in the Pac-12 I know the divisionless title game truly helps their chances i think quite a bit if they go on a sneaky dark horse run but it has to be like last year if they go six and oh they get to that big game in the middle of the season and they have to win those big games at the end and instead of having a veteran-laden roster like they had last year they've got quite a few new pieces filling in key spots this year as much as they are highly touted i think it's a lot to ask for ucla to even be in the conference title game and expected to be there. They can shock us, both you and me, but we just can't expect this team to be there at this moment.
0: I saw them last year as a team that was half dark horse, half legitimate contender going into the year. And then they made it clear in the early going with that 6-0 start and really that statement win, which I thought they would get against Utah in the middle of the year at home. That was kind of their you know, put your foot in the ground and say, we're here and we're here to contend. Now, the end of the season did not go as planned. You had the stumble against uh, Arizona. You lost the close game to USC, lost the Sun Bowl to Pitt. Things kind of spiraled from there, but things were looking really good for UCLA. And the reason that I have them as a pullback team this year, they were nine and three in the regular season a year ago. I I think that's their ceiling. And we're going to get to their schedule on today's show and talk about the quarterback situation as well. I think nine and three is their ceiling. Whereas last year, I thought their ceiling was 11 and one, and I predict that, predicted them to go 10 and two. They very nearly did. I think they're in the seven and five to nine and three range. And I just, the biggest thing that, that nags my mind about UCLA, Zach, is look, I, I know Chip Kelly knows how to win football games. They do have talent that they've brought in to replace the talent that they've lost. But the talent you lost at the most important position, replacing Dorian Thompson Robinson, even if one of the guys ends up being good, they can't be as good this year's DTR was a year ago. No, they can't. and You have to forget. You can't forget Zach Charbonnet. You had
1: just so many pieces stepping up in the right moments of games that you can't really expect, despite what they brought, all the transfer portal hype, It's not going to work every year, can it, Spencer? I just don't think it can. And there's a lot of question marks in the Pac-12, right? There's a lot of interesting teams at the bottom with new coaches that you don't really know are they the worst team ever or, like, a Deion Sanders, is he going to be a good team with them hitting the portal? UCLA is supposedly supposed to have this easy Pac-12 slate. I'm not fully buying that, which is why they have this preseason contender hype. This schedule is a lot tougher than people think but they still certainly should make a bowl game.
0: Yeah, no, I'm not thinking they go out there and are going to be five and seven. I would be surprised if they do that. And look, you know, the trenches and the, you know, non-glamour positions, the defensive backs, linebackers of of the world offensive line better than I do. But I've seen Chip Kelly be able to score too many points in his time as a college coach, including his time at, at UCLA. For me to think, yeah, they're going to be a disaster this year. They're in a state of rebuild. They're in a state of turnover. Like they have turnover at the most important position, which is why I don't see them as a conference contender. But I do think that they are still at the point where they they have more talent on their roster probably than a good half of the Pac-12, or at least uh, a, a decent share of of the Pac-12 comparatively. But I just think that when you have a quarterback league as deep as the Pac-12, Caleb Williams. Michael Penix, Bo Nix, Cam Rising. Now you have Shador Sanders in there. You have Cam Ward at Washington State. Jaden Delora at Arizona. It just feels like that is too deep and you're just expecting either a, a five-star to be great, a transfer to work out, a veteran who you know could be a solid starter to kind of go beyond his potential. You're just asking something that is not impossible but also doesn't feel particularly likely to me
1: yeah when you're asking multiple players to to replace nfl draft picks that's not always a recipe for success right even the best programs have a down year and while they're trying to compete with things across town i think ucla in their best best season is one taking down usc on the road would be a, a, a win and just getting to a good bowl game is a truly optimistic realistic version of this year.
0: Yeah, I like the offensive pieces that they've brought in. You know, Carson Steele, the running back from Ball State. I loved, I thought that the best receiver to go into the portal after Dorian Singer last year was J. Michael Sturdevant from Cal. He is a number one guy. He'll replace Jake Bobo. That's all great. But again, when you lose your three best offensive players from a year ago, DTR, Charbonnet, Jake Bobo, even if you have good pieces to replace them, I, I don't know that you can expect the production to, to replicate on, on that front. But the schedule for UCLA factors into a lot of this. And, and it's kind of an interesting way to, to view this, at least I think it is. There are teams that have an eight and a half win total with a Utah schedule. And then there's eight and a half win total with a UCLA schedule. And this is just for the regular season. And though the number is the same, and people may look at you know UCLA and Utah and say, oh, they have the same win total, they should have the same chance to win the pac 12. Eh, because Utah, in their non-conference slate, has two power five opponents. UCLA's got zero. And I think if you took UCLA and gave them Utah's non-conference schedule with Florida and Baylor, you wouldn't see a preseason win total. According to FanDuel Sportsbook of eight and a half wins, I think Zach, it would probably be seven. Would, would would be my guess. I don't think it would be eight and a half. So I think that context is kind of required when you look at you know these win totals for those of you watching on YouTube right now and say, oh well, you know Oregon State, UCLA, and Utah should all be about the same. Like, no, they don't all have the same schedule. There, I think Utah's got the toughest schedule of uh, of the bunch.
1: Yeah, Utah has got an extremely tough non-conference schedule, and I think UCLA has an underrated schedule. But nothing compares to a Baylor or a Florida in two of those first three games. Those two, those your three first two games. games.
0: It's it, yeah. their, their their first two games are Florida at home, Baylor on the road, and then they play Weber State. It's like, what? what why not Weber State week one as a tune-up for Florida and Baylor? Like, what are we doing here? I don't or know. or week That's, zero, whatever it works. We it, it's something. Yeah, something something would have been would have been better than that. But we got to break down UCLA schedule because I think there are some interesting components. And I agree. I think there's an underrated component to their non-conference schedule. Nothing underrated about Fanduel though, because that is America's number one sports book. You can take your first swing at betting Major League Baseball on Fanduel and get ten times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to two hundred dollars. Just bet twenty bucks and you'll land two hundred dollars in bonus bets. Win or lose. That's 200 you can spend betting everything from the money line to the over-under to who you think is going to hit the first home run to which team do you think is going over their win total in the Pac-12, under their win total. You know I like Cal over. All you everydayers out there, I'm probably crazy, but I like Cal over four and a half wins. I like UCLA under eight and a half wins. Whatever you want to bet, you can get it at FanDuel all in an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Sign up today, visit fanduelcom slash locked on, get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's fanduelcom slash locked on fandle, official partner of major league baseball. A refreshingly ice cold second segment sip as we get to UCLA schedule here. So the Bruins non-conference schedule at the on the on the outset, Zach. At the outset, whatever you're supposed to say there. English is a dumb language, regardless. You look at it and you say, "Okay, no Power Five opponents." Well, that's not great, but Coastal Carolina and San Diego State—not exactly, as my grandfather would say, "Willy off the pickle boat" for G5 schools. But still, you were supposed to have. Michigan this year or was that just yeah you're supposed to have Michigan in 22 and 23 Michigan bail because they're a bunch of cowards just like Ohio State bail on Washington absolute cowards like I understand it but also I'm going to come on here and call you a coward for doing that because it's worse for us as college football fans that instead of having a non-conference schedule of Coastal Carolina San Diego State and Michigan it's Coastal Carolina San Diego State and North Carolina Central, can't wait for that absolute barn burner on Pac-12 network in week three there for the Bruins. But I don't think this non-conference schedule does a lot for the Bruins. And, and the thing that I look at with, with those three opponents, including future Pac-12 member San Diego State, of course. But if you, if you look at those games, if UCLA doesn't start the season in the AP Top 25, Zach, I don't think a 3-0 and start is going to move them there. I think they'd have to win that game at Utah to crack the top twenty-five. If they don't start there in the preseason,
1: yeah, it's something similar to what they had last year, right? Last year they had the seven home games, they had the very easy esque preseason schedule. It didn't seem like they should lose. This is a season where if things go totally wrong, they could easily go one and two, two and one to start the year.
0: Three I don't know if oh. they. I don't know if I could see them going one and two. That, I could see two it, and, and one. Could,
1: well, worst case scenario we've seen okay. you know say say a quarterback plays bad an injury that could potentially be crazy that's a worst case scenario okay yeah definitely 2 and 1 is a possibility 3 and 0 oh is the expectation and just like last year it'll be that utah game before anybody respects ucla if they start 3 and 0 oh. and if you can beat utah on the road early before it's cold We don't really know the rising health situation completely. At least I'm not fully aware of that, how they might play, and maybe they're beaten up after Baylor and Florida and everything. If they can go knock off Utah, then you've got some eyes with a sneaky October start to get that going. But I do think that non-conference schedule is a time where a lot of pieces can get a good opportunity to start.
0: Yeah, I I think it can be, uh, okay, we're 3-0. We've avoided disaster. I don't think – look – the most likely game to lose in there is at San Diego State. I'm not up to date on Coastal Carolina, whether or not they're going to be making another you know run as, in, as a long-term Well, McCall's undefeated.
1: back, so McCall should be back. Their starting quarterback who was in the okay, pool a helps. lot of talent, but I think a coaching change really kind of takes off the steam. But if you see UCLA struggle with Coastal Carolina Week 1, don't be surprised, especially if the defense isn't up to par for the Bruins yet. But that should be a high-scoring game, I would hope and expect, for a Pac-12 after dark, that late Saturday night opener. But the San Diego State, which we should, I think, have an exciting sold-out Snapdragon Stadium, if that's not rocking and the Bruins on the edge of near defeat, then I don't know what that atmosphere can be.
0: It it should be awesome. Yeah, it should be. When you have a Southern California team and you have the school in there that's basically the team or school that you're replacing, assuming San Diego State ever gets into the Pac-12, like part of the reason the Aztecs are a top expansion candidate is, well, you can't just not be in Southern California. That's not an option for, for the Pac-12 presidents. And uh, and I think fans probably feel that way as well. So I think there'd be some a high level of intrigue. I, I wonder, like, let's assume, you know, I, I hope for these sorts of things all the time, but do I ever get what I want? Rarely. So... I hope that at that time, by the time the game rolls around, we'll know that San Diego State will one day be a member of the Pac-12. At that point in time, Zach, I got to be honest. I'll be rooting for San Diego State. <laughs> oh goodness! <laughs> like, like I just, I, I would now if they're not coming to the conference, then I, I, I don't feel as feel as strongly about it. Though, might still be rooting for San Diego State. I don't know, Aztec fans out there, they're big fan. If you didn't know, the Aztec fans out there, the. Uh, Oh, what's the name of that show? It's like Mount Montezuma, the Sons of Montezuma, all the sons of Montezuma out there. Big fans of Locked On Pac-12. So I got to I got to I got to show the love back there. So conference play then begins for UCLA and they start with at Utah, which is pretty brutal. It's like, hey, here's Pac-12 conference play. Here's the two time defending champs. Oh, by the way, you're on the road in Salt Lake City. That's a pretty rough beginning there, and I agree is going to be the first show-me-what-you're-made-of, show-me-what-you-got moment for UCLA. And you know the good news for whoever's playing quarterback is you're going to have three games to kind of get it right or get yourself in the best possible uh, situation there with, with the rest of your team. But what I notice about this schedule, Zach, that's tough for the Bruins, three out of the first four conference games on the road, I mean... You talk about the Pac-12 saying, don't let the door hit you on the way out. That's kind of what that feels like to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. They do get that bye week earlier in the Pac-12 schedule, so they can get that rest. It's not just three games in four weeks. It's the the four games in, I believe, what, five weeks, so they get the extra week. But Utah to start, hey, I'd rather play them in September than I'd rather play them in late October or November out in Salt Lake City. So that's all I'm saying. Get them early before they get hot late like the Utes did last year. And then Washington State, sneaky, tough home game. Not really sure what the Cougars are going to bring, but I don't think that should be anything lighthearted. Those road games, those yeah. are going to be extremely, extremely entertaining.
0: Yeah, so they start with at Utah on September 23rd. Then they have the bye, which is a really early bye, but like you said, not the worst thing in the world. And that's probably you know how the Pac-12 is justifying this this stretch for them of Utah by Washington state at home and then at Oregon state and then at Stanford. I expect them to win that game at Stanford. I don't think the Cardinal will be anything to bat your eyelashes at in, in 2023. I mean, Troy
1: Taylor, they're talking about all that love. What is it? Elijah Brown in SoCal. They're making some noise.
0: Oh no, no, no. I completely agree that they're making noise. They they have a top 15 recruiting class. Did you know fun fact, Zach, as we record this show, Stanford has a higher 2024 recruiting class ranking than Alabama. Did you I, know that? I did, did you not da- know that. Crazier. Th- so I'm just saying crazy. I mean, is that going to last? No, of course not. But does it exist right now? And is it kind of funny and also indicative of what Troy Taylor's doing there? Yes. But do I expect those changes in year one? No, because his roster is basically all the same because they can't bring in transfers over there. So he's got he's got a lot of ground uh, to make up. But their win totals, you can see here on YouTube, is three and a half, tied for Colorado uh, for the lowest in the Pac-12, according to our friends over at FanDuel Sportsbook. They're uh, what I've since dubbed, since seeing this graphic, a right column team rather than a, a left column team. But anyway, so they go uh, Utah, come back home against Washington State. I think that's going to be a good game. UCLA and Washington State down uh, at the Rose Bowl. Then you go at Oregon State, at Stanford, and host Colorado. That's a stretch there. You know, those four games off the bye, I think you're doing well if you win two. I think you're doing great if you win three. I think you're backing up the conference contender expectation or desire, shall we say, if you win all four.
1: Yeah, when you come off a bye and you play Utah, this is the typical UCLA formula. You play Utah, we get all hyped because they get 4-0, and then you lay an egg on an 8.30 Pacific time kickoff against Washington State, beat Oregon State, who all of a sudden has hype, and then you barely beat a Stanford and Colorado. That's a UCLA formula for success and disaster at the same time. And then lo and behold, who comes around in November? Arizona. And you're like, oh, not this <laughs> yeah. story again. Not this story again, with the team that's confident from last year. That is the most naysaying UCLA fans' brain on how the season could go in a best, worst case scenario going down after the bye.
0: Yeah, and I, I would not sleep on that Arizona game, not just because they're an ascending program, not just because they beat UCLA last year, but because that game is in Tucson. And look, I, I don't know what exactly Arizona is going to have in store this year, but Look, I'm an Oregon fan. I've seen strange things happen in the desert a lot over the years, Zach. A lot, a lot, a lot. And so I wouldn't sleep on that game. So then the final three games on their conference schedule, they host Arizona State. That's a winnable game. They go at USC, and then they play Cal at home. A Cal team, by the way, that I'm higher on than most, also gave UCLA kind of a scare in the last week of of the season in twenty twenty two. Everybody did. Spencer, come on.
1: At the end of twenty twenty two, they could have rolled out Weber State and Weber State could have given UCLA a game. Come on. I mean <laughs> I mean that's a little that's that's ridiculous. But that's just kind of how it seemed like, right? Anybody was gonna give UCLA a like, game other than like, like like Stanford.
0: The, the the negative momentum it it just snowballed at that point. Right? It was just uh, the mojo is gone. Yeah, the mojo was gone, I think, is the way of uh, of looking at it for sure. So they're one of the teams this year that have to play five road conference games. And this alternates, by the way, this is part of the uh, fun of being a conference commissioner and having teams and everybody is to ensure that there's, that there's fairness in this stuff and there's a regular rotation and matchups and everything like that. And as I've hosted the show for the last... Uh, year and a couple months, it's it's been fun to kind of like see that stuff and understand, oh, that's why we play this team. Oh, we, you know, we played this team because we played, you know, the, we played their, their travel partner on the road last year. And we're not playing both those teams because they're in the formerly, you know, other opposite division. So we're going to play them this year, you know, so like you guys went uh, at uh, who's a who's a north team from uh from last year. You guys went at Cal last year. You are now going to go to Cal or no, Cal is going to to come down here anyway. Yeah. yeah, yeah, there's all is all, all all that uh all that sort of stuff. But, could be the
1: la- could be the end of a long-standing football rivalry there. That's one of the longest played football games in college football. Oh, like, I mean it looks like it's it going
0: to, it looks like it's going to be the end. I mean, I guess when they get to the Big 10 they could set up a Florida, Florida State, Iowa, Iowa State sort of matchup, but yeah, people don't understand. And you know, you know why people don't think about that. Zach is they think of it as Cal, it's UC Berkeley, as in UC Los Angeles, and so people don't really associate them as like oh, there's they're these big rivals because they just think USC UCLA because they share the same city, but UCLA is going to be paying what the, what has been dubbed. Calimony, which is a hilarious term, <laughs> to Cal to go to the Big Ten because of the historical ties between those two schools. So they'll they'll continue playing. The team in the North that, uh, that you miss this year, or one of them, uh, that actually works out as a big break for UCLA this year is they miss Oregon and they miss Washington. So those are the kind of old North teams who they play – you know, on the road at Oregon last year, on the road at Oregon State this year. So then if they had, you know, continued in the Pac-12 going forward, Oregon would have gone to UCLA as they did in 2021. And then Oregon State would have come to UCLA the, the following year. But I, I think what, what works out well for UCLA, and again, back to our earlier conversation of, yeah, their win total is eight and a half, but is their schedule kind of breaking for them in a way that's inflating that win total compared to what their actual talent is? I think that's the way they could backdoor their way into the Pac-12 championship game is you miss Oregon and Washington, and Oregon State and Washington State are good football teams, but neither one is probably as tough as Oregon or Washington comparatively going into this season, and that's a break for the Bruins. I think the biggest reason UCLA's win total is where it's at. It's not
1: because of how good the team is. It's who they don't play. It, it, that's basically what it is, Spencer. You don't play Oregon. You don't play Washington. Last and you year, don't play, pick,
0: and, and sorry to cut you off, but you don't play a power five non-conference opponent.
1: That That's why they could easily get easily quotes around easily get to 10 wins because it breaks their way, built their way. Michigan backed away. You get an extra win in there. You pad it in with North Carolina central. You got some sneaky tough, but winnable games against non-power fives. And then you don't play two of the biggest contenders with, there are two big name quarterbacks returning either on the road or at home, as it could have laid out in a different year. You know, the season broke after they lost to Oregon last year. This year, you don't got that. You don't have that game. It's early against Utah all the hype against USC. Everything else is a game we could realistically see UCLA win. Will that happen? I'm not so sure with what we're going to talk about in a moment here, Spencer, but yeah, it's just how it is.
0: Yeah, the range of wins, which is, you know, we're, we're not going into to record predictions just yet. you got to let this stuff marinate over many weeks and months before you can make a record prediction. That sort of stuff will come in August, which is <laughs> just a couple of weeks away. Anyway, uh, football is really close, and I'm very excited about that fact. But I think for UCLA, their, their range is seven to nine wins. I think nine, I think that's the absolute ceiling i i i just struggle to see how between the utah the usc the oregon state actually you know what as i say it it's managed but you'd have to avoid another stumble that's the thing so i look at the schedule and i say you're an underdog at usc you're an underdog at utah probably going to be an underdog at oregon state now let's say you win one of those games but you're probably losing the other two given that they're all on the road. So let's say you go one and two right there. You can only have one stumble the whole season if you're going to go nine and three. That seems like it's asking a lot from this UCLA team that's you know kind of resetting, rebuilding in in the one sense at key positions like you know quarterback running back wide receiver (laughs) those spots not that they matter of course but and their defense let's not forget yeah yeah (laughs) yeah. And, and yeah and their defense of course so you you have breaks you have plenty of games where you'll be a favorite but you know having just one stumble available to you between Washington State Arizona Cal San Diego State You could only lose one of those games, win the rest, go one and two in those tough games, which are all on the road, and go nine and three. That's the best outcome to me. But I do think there's enough talent there, and Chip Kelly's a good enough coach, to where the low end is seven wins. I don't think there is six and six football team. I think they're seven and five or eight and four, but I think seven to nine is kind of their range. Where do you see it?
1: I see themselves within this... I'm teetering between wanting to say my low end seven or eight, and I don't want to be the same as you. So we're going to go with eight. And I'm an opt- I'm wearing UCLA gear. I'm a UCLA guy. We'll go <laughs> with eight. I can definitely see how things could fall off and they could get to the under. But I do see an, a world where they could get to ten wins. I know I was negative Nancy earlier, but I will say ten wins – Achievable, although I'm cheating. I'm gonna poke in and pull this this bowl game. I'm gonna pull this bowl game in there and technically get that cheapo. <laughs> yeah,
0: but I'm I, I'm I'm just talking regular regular yeah, I got season you. here. I got you. But, but I, I was, but I see I see where you're coming from.
1: I, I, that's you know UCLA could use that bowl win to get to that ten win plateau, which is hard to get for UCLA. It seems like in program history over the entirety of a football program, but eight to ten. It's a very optimistic range, given my earlier rants. But I would say 8 to 10 is a good, it seems like Chip Kelly, UCLA range. And that's just where they seem to be. And 10 wins, I think, would be a good season, a very good season.
0: Now, a lot of this is going to depend on the quarterback play. If they get high-level quarterback play, it could be 9 or 10. If it's kind of middle of the road, in the Pac-12 with this great quarterback conference, it could be 7 or, dare I say, even 6, depending on... The way the cookie crumbles but i i do think there are too many winnable games on here for chip kelly to only notch six wins so i think seven is the low end but what's the latest on the quarterback situation zach you have the veteran backup ethan garbers who was a four-star recruit if memory serves looks like a capable quarterback or certainly could be i thought at one point in time cal should have looked at him they went and got sam jackson which i think also think was a great addition you got the five-star High school All-American, true freshman and Dante Moore, who's never taken a snap of college football in his life. And you have Colin Schley, who's coming over from the Mid-American Conference in Kent State. Pretty sure it's Mid-American, M-A-C. Little Maction. Yeah, Kent State, Maction, that sounds right. Which of those guys looks to be in the lead right now? Which of those guys do you think gives UCLA the best chance to win?
1: It's funny because you could argue— for every single player, you've got Garbers, who one time was the Washington recruit, transferred over. You've got Schley, who's the transfer, as you mentioned. I guess it's not officially, but if you, you decommit and then commit, you could think of it as a transfer mindset. It a it's a flip. It's a flip, right? So if Chip Kelly's like, I'm not going to get you initially. I'm going to pull you from somebody else. Garbers, he's been in the system for a long time. He almost took UCLA on a game-winning drive in the bowl game, filled in nicely. If you remember, DTR wasn't even in that end of the game against Pitt over and what New Year's Eve to December 30th, whatever day that was at the end of
0: Garber's Garber's also, by the way, I thought you were going to go to this cause I'm an, an Oregon guy. The Oregon he was game. in at the end of the game in 2021 against Oregon, almost led them on a game tying field goal drive through an interception, made a young freshman mistake, but he was making throws. He was making plays. And I looked at it and I went, I could see that guy starting a quarterback.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He's a guy that he's a safe option. He's a guy that could get the job done But, of course, you've got the exciting options, right? You have Slee, who's gotten some NFL love, someone who's played the most at the D1 level. You bring him over, you think, all right, he's going to compete with Garbers. This is the guy that's going to challenge him. And while there were some ups and downs, I think, in spring football, he has a chance to win this job. You don't really try to bring someone over like that if you don't expect him to truly challenge. Until we saw what happened in mid-December, and you bring in the all-uber-hyped Dante Moore who I would suggest I think most UCLA fans would want. And I think you start him as soon as possible. And if things don't work out, you've got the Porter, you've got the veterans. Dante Moore has a lot of intangibles, got a little bit of a leadership, a little bit more of a leadership quality for a youngster. And while there might be a little bit of some questions I've read about that arm strength deep down the field, you don't necessarily need all that. The Chip Kelly offense necessarily with the way he creates openings and with all the wide receiving threats, Maybe it doesn't even matter who's at quarterback if you can just hand the ball off to Carson Steele and the offensive line blocks and plays to perfection. I say Dante Moore's the option plays play him as quickly as possible and how and see how good he is. If he's not, then you can just kind of move away from him. But I'm not sure that's how it'll play out.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm waiting on that announcement because boy that that could I think impact not just the Pac-12 championship picture but just where the Bruins' mentality is for this year. Because the way you make it sound is, you know, go with Dante Moore. That's what people would like to have happen because we're trying to build for a championship team because we don't really have one right now, even though their win total is, uh, is really high. But still lots to play out over there in uh, UCLA. What well, part of Los Angeles is UCLA in? I struggled to think of it just now. Westwood.
1: Westwood, Westwood. Yeah, yeah, Westwood.
0: I was about to say Hollywood, but I was like, no, no, no. No, no th- well,
1: I mean, technically there's Pasadena because that's the whole, you know, everything where they play in the Rose Bowl, but yeah, Westwood but West- is where the yeah. campus is.
0: Yeah, West Westwood's what I was uh, thinking of. And we're always thinking of having Zach Anderson-Yachseimer on, host of Locked on UCLA. Anytime we talk about the Bruins won't be the last we hear from him this summer before the season begins, which is a lot closer than we all realize, which is fantastic. Zach, thanks as always, my man. Thank you. Appreciate everyone listening. I will see you next time. And until then, hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.